Welcome to the RSP Quick Game, Mark Schofield, Matt Waldman. Listen, week eight, kind of fun. Had some yeah. interesting things going on, and then Monday hit, and that's when the real news happened. Um, but we're going to cover all that and more. You know, you can find Mark Schofield's excellent work at DD Wire. You can find him doing Sco's throws um, on Twitter. You have his his uh, YouTube channel and all the fine podcasts that he's. He's a part of with Doug Farrar and with Rachel Prevett and, you know, the folks at Pat's Pulpit and, you know, you the Cowboys he's doing work with. I mean, yeah. I could I, I'm pretty I think he's tied into pretty much every media outlet at this point. So I, I'm working on it. I'm trying to get there. Yeah, I'm not there yet. Well, hey, listen, you know, we're 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 hoping that uh, we're hoping that more and more people continue to figure out the excellent Mark Schofield. But if not, you know, I'm glad to have him here. That's for yeah. sure. So, you know, and and speaking of that excellence, the RSP projections and dynasty Goodbye. rankings. Yeah, they they came out on Sunday. Of course, then everything changed. But, you know, that you'll have fun. You get a chance to look at, you know, what I projected for every team um, and give you and then giving you dynasty rankings for win now as well as uh um, building for later and uh, of course there is the RSP you know draft guide that is also available you can find all that at mountwaldman.com or mountwaldmanrsp.com pick your poison so speaking of pick your poison we had two mics who really turned on the Jets and beat the Cincinnati Bengals upsetting them you know Michael Carter who I think everybody pretty much knew about and knew that yep. he was you know, he was emerging as a as a starter. But Mike White, Western Kentucky. Yep. So what was your impression of Mike White? Anything to see? I mean, I think we'll, we'll learn more uh, Thursday, <laughs> you know, yeah. against a different team. I, I think the Bengals were rather static and complacent. A lot of his throws were just quick reads and throws against spot drop and zone coverage. But he was making them. He was reading it out. He was decisive. He was quick with his decisions. He was quick with his throws, quick with his reads. It's interesting. I tried to focus on throws downfield, like 10 yards or more. You really find that much from him. No. I mean, he threw for 400 yards, and his average depth of target was like 3.2 yards or something. Like It wasn't like he was pushing the ball downfield to do it. You know, I, I think the touchdown late. You know, that sort of like stick nod concept, you know, to, for the touchdown there to the tight end. That was a nice read and throw. But, you know, it was a nice performance from a backup quarterback. And that's what you'd like to have if you've got a backup quarterback. This is still Zach Wilson's show. You know, they, they drafted the kid second overall. I don't think there's this idea that there's a actual quarterback controversy. They basically went out and hired his private quarterback coach. A lot of Internet sleuths figured out like, hey, is that John Beck? In the hat and the, the headset, the Jets hat on the sideline. And, you know, you were reading like on the Reddit, Jets subreddit and other places. Like, I think that's John Beck. And sure enough, you know, the actual beat writers that cover the team are like, yeah, you know, they've got John Beck, Zach Wilson's private quarterback coach, now basically on the sidelines. I don't know if he's like officially on staff or what. That tells you, kids, what's happening here. Like, this isn't a quarterback controversy. This isn't, hey, maybe Zach White's going to be their guy. When you go out and hire – a guy you drafted second overall, you go out and hire his private quarterback coach. That's your long term. That's your plan. So nice performance from Zach, from Mike White. But this is the Zach Wilson show. Yeah, and I would absolutely agree with that. Even though John Beck, 
what I remember of John Beck is one of the, the, the best, you know, lessons I learned about quarterback evaluation because I had him rated highly. He was a second-round pick with the Miami Dolphins, who his career ended pretty quickly as a starter yep. after a stint with Mike Shanahan that didn't last very long. But here's the thing. You know, Mike White, I think what he did very well was handling pressure at his feet. He was able to back away and, you know, play with poise where they tried to pressure him. But it seemed like they did a lot of pressuring and dropping where they, they sent pressure or got pressure home, but they dropped their linebacker so deep that he just had lots of room to be able to throw to guys and, you know, and let them run in space. Um, but he found the check downs. He found the second reads. He found the outlet, you know, the different outlets. The, the two throws I liked were the Barrios play to the boundary where he did have pressure at his feet. And you have that backside you know, tight end throw yep. right there. That was nice. Um, you know, watching him, remembering him from college, he had some, there was a play I saw where he did a really great job of manipulating the defense off script. Um, and it was something that I hadn't seen from pretty much any prospect that I had watched back in 2017 or anybody leading up to that, which included the Trubisky's, the Watson's, um, you know, so there's a little spark there with his game and certainly he's worked at his craft, but you know, New York city is known for, um, it's known for Broadway and Broadway, you know, compared to film, you have to exaggerate a little bit more to get your point across on stage. And I think that New York has built a little bit for drama. And so, you know, you're going to hear drama about, well, you know, everyone's, Everyone's celebrating Mike White for his performance. How does Zach Wilson feel about that? Who really cares? Right. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, you're celebrating the fact that, that a co-worker has worked really hard and done a great job. Does that mean that, like, you know, this is like neurotic kind of behavior when when we have somebody who gets celebrated for doing the work that they were expected to, maybe even perform above expectation, and considering the environment and they're your teammate and suddenly now you're going to be worried about one teammate's going to be worried about the accomplishments of the other, you know, in this scenario. Yeah. I mean, we're getting, yeah. we're getting a little selfish here. I think we'll find out he'll get tested and, and we'll see, we'll see how he responds from there. It was a good first yeah. start. So can you stop Tom Brady for more than moments in a game watching that new Orleans saints game? It seemed to me like other than like you get, great teamwork on coverage where you have your eyes on the quarterback and you can peel off your, you can peel off of your assignment to attack another um, or the occasional poor throw or the occasional alligator arming from Mike Evans, which was a rare display for a guy like him. Is it, can you stop him? I don't think you can. I don't think you can either. You have to do something that flies in the face of what you're, he's expected. I mean, the first interception is that example of it because it's man coverage. You've got the sort of out inbreaker concept um, from the three and two receiver to a trip side. And the defender over the number two receiver is jamming the number two receiver, but he's keeping his eyes on Brady. Brady's expecting, look, it's man coverage. I'm going to have the out route. That defender is playing with inside leverage over the number three receiver. I can throw to the boundary. That guy over number two peels off. I mean, you don't see that. You know, you have to give him the unexpected. You have to do things that normally break the rules of defensive structure that go outside what 
we expect defenders to do. That's how you got to beat them. And the problem is on Sunday, you know, for opposing defenses, for upcoming defenses, the problem is this. On Sunday at work, they got him more than he got him. It's not always going to happen that way. Because no. nine times out of ten, when you do something that's unexpected, Brady's going to figure it out in the moment and burn you for it. Nine times out of ten on that play where that defender peels off, Brady's going to see it, and he's going to throw the guy he just vacated for a huge play. New Orleans got him. The weird thing is the Saints have got him more than any other team recently. Like he's thrown 17 picks since he joined the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Seven of them have come against New Orleans. And, you know, I think these two plays are the most, you know, glaring examples of him getting sort of, you know, something that he wasn't expecting. The others, you know, I was watching them this morning, you know, he was just bad reads. Guys weren't on the same page early in the, in his Tampa Bay career, whatever. But to answer your question, no, no, you, you can't stop him, slow him down. Like you're going to get isolated wins against him and you hope that's enough. Yeah, and and it and it comes down because it comes down to really two things. Like you said, defensive players playing um, basically breaking the structure of what they're supposed to do and improvising well, which great defenders can do, or really top-notch defenders can do within certain moments. But it also has to be compounded with, well, getting interior pressure home very fast. You know, so fast that yep. Brady can't get rid of the ball, and Brady is very quick getting rid of the ball. So that means that literally a defender is going to need a free run through the middle of the defense um, and meet Brady in the backfield before Brady finishes a three- or five-step drop, which right. is just essentially not going to happen. This isn't Ken Stabler and seven-step drop days of the 70s. So you're, you know, yeah, it's it's you're looking for your – Brady's teammates to make mistakes, the occasional mistake from Brady compounding that, um, and then maybe a timely sack here and there or a timely pressure to influence one of those types of plays. And that's right. just it, – it just doesn't happen very often. At the, to me, the play that I loved was watching him on the touchdown throw to Mike Evans where he's got trips on the right side – and he just how he pivots from that right side to the left so seamlessly and yeah. gets rid of that ball late. And when you can throw the ball, turn to the opposite side of the field late and just get rid of that ball. Mac Jones had a had a throw like had a throw I believe earlier where he had to go to a second or third read, but not like that. I mean, yeah. when you have to open up all the way to your left side, and he just made it look like it was routine and it was just such a perfect pass. And I'm just like, there's. There's maybe six or seven quarterbacks who can do that and don't even make that look easy. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. So what? now that we've kind of gone through, you know, the best in the game to a guy who won for the worst in the game, um, what about, you know, Trevor Simeon and Cooper Rush? What were your impressions of them? More the same of, you know, hey, look, they came in, did a good job. Or, you know, is there anything here that you would feel Yeah, I mean, about? for the most part, it's like, look, they came in, they, they did their job, they did what they were supposed to. Simeon had a couple of moments where he had to get moved off his spot and was able to drop his eyes to a check down or an outlet receiver or something like that and did it well. I think Rush, he showed pretty good timing and anticipation to me. Like, he had some out routes, some comebacks, some curls where he had to make those throws with – you know, a bit of time into them, a bit of anticipation to him, but he did a good job in those moments. So, you know, solid performances from backup guys. I mean, I think, look, when you talk about those two games, the best throw I saw 
you know, was Cedric Wilson's. I mean, and, and <laughs> yeah. that was, look, I'm not selling this short. That was a tremendous play because you watch that Wilson play. It's a four by one. They're trying to set up the screen look where he's going to throw a deep corner route to CeeDee Lamb, but it's A, covered well, B, they get pressure on it. So he has to turn it into a scramble drill mode. Lamb has to see it. Now, we talk a lot about, like, the importance of, like, practice reports and things like that. How many times, A, do you think they practice that play? And, B, how many times in the few reps they got of it do you think they had to shift into scramble drill mode? Probably yeah. not too many. Yeah. So the fact that they were able to do that, and Lamb, by the way, when he moved, stumbled, still maintained speed, gets open, and Wilson on the move throws a rope, like – Forget Simi and forget Rush. That was the best throw I saw from those two games, period. <laughs> well, I'll I'll add Monday night's throw with Kadarius Tony on, yeah. on his play because he checked down. So the yeah. fact that he actually checked down rather than going for a covered post route was actually pretty impressive for a rookie wide receiver who's throwing the yeah. ball. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the best thing I get an impression with that is that Cooper Rush's teammates helped him out a ton. I thought on that there were a lot of throws that probably that you yeah. could classify as inaccurate that the receivers were able to erase the inaccuracy. And then with Simeon, to me, Simeon showed the value of having a former starter, even if not a successful one, Right, having a former starter in the game who wasn't overwhelmed in the moment and could make some off-script plays and, and keep his team moving down the field. Yeah. So... What are your thoughts both on and off the field in terms of the impact of Calvin Ridley um, stepping away from the game? You know, I mean, on the field, and I, only want to, I just want to go briefly on that. Like, you know, you'll, you'll probably see more Kyle Pitts. Like, although you're probably going to see a lot of coverage rotated his way as, as a result of what we talked about last week with him. You know, you might see some opportunities for Patterson and some of the other players. But I, I think the bigger thing is the off the field. And I, I, as somebody that has talked a ton about mental health, as somebody that still talks a ton about mental health, that still works through that stuff on a daily and sometimes hourly basis, like it's important to me. I take it very seriously. And we had two stories this week, both, both Calvin Ridley and Lane Johnson talking about it, you know, Ridley stepping away from the game, Johnson having his sit down interview with Jay Glazer about it. He stepped away from a time. Look, it, it I've said this so many times. You get one crack at this thing we call life. You get one drive, one game, whatever you know, metaphor you want to use for it. But you get one crack at it, and you have to do the things that you have to do to put yourself in the best frame of mind day in and day out. Sometimes it's easier than others. And it's easy to think that you see somebody that's an NFL athlete, an NFL wide receiver, a guy that won a Super Bowl as a right tackle, a guy that's a lawyer in downtown D.C. with the leather briefcase and the leather shoes and the nice sunglasses. You might look at these people and think they've got it all together. They've got everything. But no, inside they might be hurting. They might be dying inside. They might be on the verge of doing something drastic inside. And everybody goes through this. Everybody deals with it. Like If, if there's somebody out there that's listening that hasn't, God bless you. Um, because it's something that I honestly struggle with daily, sometimes hourly, and it never really goes away as much as you might think somebody has it put together. To see professional athletes, you know, even guys in other sports, Kevin Love, for example, with the Cleveland Cavaliers, Michael Phelps talking about it, open up and be honest about it. It's going to give cover for the people that are living through this in the shadow of darkness to come out 
and seek their own light. And I think that's critically important. So that's my biggest takeaway from that story. Yeah, Simone Biles, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, with with Ridley off the field, I think that it's, I'm glad to see that there are NFL players who are doing this, that, yeah. that, that they're all athletes, that all athletes are doing this. But the NFL tends to be the most... Um, Neanderthal of, yeah. of sports when it comes to how they look at things from this, you know, this facet. It's like, oh, well, is he soft? He's not tough. As opposed to, you know, just looking at folks as human beings. This is a high pressure arena. Um, you know, it creates a lot of off on and off field demands um, for players. There's a lot of public interface with people even if you want to be a private individual unless you just don't go out at all and when you isolate yourself that can make things a little bit more difficult too on mental health right. for a lot of people um so that's part of the issue and then you just look at the fact that you know we th think about all the players probably from like the 50s 60s 70s 80s and 90s who we find out later as we read, you know, it makes great reading for biography, but, you know, it shouldn't be at the expense of our entertainment to find out that a player, you know, basically dealt with a drug problem or dealt with some sort of mental health issues that watched their life deteriorate because the idea of not seeking assistance for that or taking the time to do that just seemed unheard of so they had to right. find other coping mechanisms to be able to to try and handle what their career is and you wouldn't think twice about your son or daughter you know taking some time off from a job that may not be remotely as high profile as this you know but then we have the expectation that because people are getting paid a lot of money and they're in a high profile job that they should therefore just do whatever it takes to earn that check when really it's like, you know, life's a little more important um, and the quality of life that people have. So yeah, I'm, you know, from off the field, I think it's great that he's made this decision um, and that, you know, hopefully the Falcons organization will remain a supportive organization um, for that. I haven't read what their thoughts are. So if I'm incorrect that they've been supportive, then you know, someone let me know, but right. but from the most part, it seems like this has been met with, at least from a media standpoint, has been met um, well received. We'll see how the NFL handles it moving forward on, on the field. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Atlanta has a receiver other than Kyle Pitts of any of import other than Pitts and and Hayden Hurst. Um, and then on top of that, you also have Cordero, but, you know, he's more impactful as an outlet receiver at the yeah. back position. So I would anticipate seeing more two tight end sets. I would anticipate seeing a little bit more work where you see Lee Smith and Hurst in the field with Pitts on the outside. And you get, you know, Cordero Patterson and, and Davis involved as much as possible. But I do think it's going to hurt the offense overall. I mean, I think yeah. it's going to be a difficult yeah. thing to deal with. Even though Ridley hasn't been great on the field in terms of production. Um, so, yeah. And, and this might be why. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it might be why. 
It very much might be. Now, I, my question, you know, my my other question is, you actually had my sunglasses, Mark? What, I, what, <laughs> That's all I got I out of this. Is like, I am, you know, look, not, not the mental health. Just the, Believe the, it or right. not, like yeah. we all have our things. Yeah. I'm a sunglasses guy. Yeah. I have a, up in our bedroom, I have a case for 10 sunglasses. I have 10 pairs of sunglasses. Wow. I have sunglasses for different seasons, for different moods. Like I call this one, you know, Spring of George, you know, a Seinfeld <laughs> reference there. Um, but my favorite pair, and I know we're going to talk TV shows later. People might remember the show Burn Notice. I absolutely oh, yeah. loved Burn Notice. Jeffrey Donovan as like the burned CIA spy. Um, oh God, I'm thinking the guy that played Sam, Bruce Campbell, the chin, yeah, uh, who played his friend Sam. Then you had Fiona. Um, I pushed when we were trying to come up names for our daughter Simone. I pushed hard for Fiona, like that. That's the name that I wanted. Um, but he had this these pair this pair of sunglasses, and one holiday season, my wife looked into getting me those sunglasses. They were like $500, but she found like a knockoff. And th those were the sunglasses that I'll be wearing all the time before I really got deeper into it. But yeah, I mean, I like, I'm a huge sunglasses guy. See, check that out. That's awesome. Yeah. And see, I learned, see, well, your wife has good taste because my daughter's yeah. middle name is Simone. So yeah. there you go. There so, you go. Yeah. Uh, Rochelle pushed hard for Simone. So there you go. Well, you know, moving forward, let's talk about Von Miller and his impact oh in L.A. Do you think, I mean, I saw the meme the other day, somebody put in of John Malkovich and Rounders, you know. Well, first of all, the table. let's like stop that. there. All right. Let's stop there. All right. I give the media person for the Rams credit because everybody was saying, yeah, look, clearly they're going all in and you, you have the John Malkovich as Teddy KGB meme, right? But kids, for those of you that are listening that would like a social media job like that, make sure you see the movie. <laughs> because Teddy KGB loses, okay? He loses. And he loses to like a swarmy Harvard like dropout, Harvard Law dropout. And, you know, maybe you're looking at is... Clint Are you Kingsbury talking about the Facebook founder guy? again? Oh, no, not that guy. Uh, not isn't, he a, but... isn't he a swarmy Harvard dropout? Well, yeah, yeah. Okay. But okay. in the movie Rounders, Matt Damon's oh, okay. like a Harvard Law student. That's right. Um, but they lose. And so you got to think these trades through because then you open the door and a chucklehead like me pointed out on Twitter, hey, um, this, you know how this ends? Um, but I do think this move might end a little bit better than KGB, you know, with his Oreos. Because as I often like to do when I wrote about this at USA Today yesterday, put yourself in the shoes of a Cliff Kingsbury playing them down the road. Now you've got Aaron Donald on the interior. You've got Vaughn Miller off the edge, and you've got Leonard Floyd off the other edge. Donald and Floyd combined have 46% of the Rams sacks right now. They have 42% or 41% of their pressures. Those are two very good players. Like Aaron Donald, yes, he's you know a world ender. Leonard Floyd is very good too. So where do you do? Where do you go? This presents problems. Do you just slide protection to leave one of those guys, Floyd or, or Miller, one-on-one -on -one with your left-to-right tackle? Do you bring backs and tight ends and into the formation chip and release. Do you go seven man protection? Like these are the things that you're going to have to work through now going against them. Does Miller play the way he did when he was first out of Texas A&M? No. Is he still a very effective pass rusher off the edge? Absolutely. Will it be very effective if he's getting a ton of one-on-one -on -one situations because of those other two dudes? Absolutely. And so this is going to be a lot for teams to deal with. 
That absolutely is, and your best choice might be to run as many screens as possible until you basically knock Jalen Ramsey out of the game because that's yep. about your best shot is that you somehow can get a quick downfield play without Ramsey on the field. Now the fact that he's afforded even less time yeah. um, for receivers to develop routes because of the fact that they're going to get this pressure. So, yeah, this helps this team all around. You know, Their secondary is probably their weakest point. Um, and they've just strengthened their secondary with a, you know, with an upgrade to their pass rush. And, and who knows? By the time we're done recording this, they might have traded for Stephon Gilmore or somebody <laughs> else. Like less need is just like, and I don't know if you saw it, but Rich Eisen had a great like instant reaction. And he he was like brutally honest. He's like, I know him personally. Like I, I've been close to his wife for years. They used to work together. She was a producer for some of his shows. And he's like, this is a man with some church bells. You know, that's what Rich Eisen said. And so, you know, you, you figure out the metaphor there, kids. Less need is if he could get a new defender to, in the secondary, he'll do it over the next two hours. I once got a letter back from the office of Less Need when I was, when I, you know, when I really? first, when I first sent the RSP to, uh, to a bunch of uh, NFL teams way back in the day when I didn't really know anything. Yeah. Um, and he he talked to me about it was a letter dictated basically from basically on you know what it takes to be a scout and that i didn't know anything so you know so yeah it was a it was a great little letter you know that i got there and and to an extent he was absolutely correct because i sent that off in 2006 now i will say the new orleans saints the year that i had marcus colston actually thanked me for it and and were and wrote me a quite friendly letter wow. as opposed to Atlanta well, Falcons go. and Les Snead. Um, there so, you go. So, but you know, Les was more on the right end of the spectrum. But the Saints were awfully polite. But the Saints are near and dear in my heart. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> I I'm totally with you. What about Adrian Peterson's impact in Tennessee? I mean, are we? Are you? I, to me, he's fantasy football Santa Claus. I'm never doubting that man again after. He tore the knee eight or nine years ago and came back as soon as he did. And after watching him play, after the the Vikings effectively fired him, it was very clear that the Vikings' offensive line was the problem, not Adrian Peterson. So can he reprise what he did in Detroit? And... Or are you thinking, nah? It's so hard to think at this point of his career, like, that he'd be able to do it. Um, But like you, I mean, he's somebody that I still believe in generally. I mean, I, I think he might be fantasy relevant for like a week or two, but I don't know about the longevity here. And, you know, maybe it's a situation where he gives you enough from a football standpoint for Tennessee that you get the best case scenario out of Henry coming back and he can sort of bridge that period. But I'm very hesitant. You know, uh, that layoff, that age, this position, it's just hard to envision it being like this sort of boom situation. Okay, so I love this question because if you are a fantasy GM and you don't need a running back, but you're just looking for a luxury ad of impact, listen to Mark. Don't take him. Don't take him. Just expect that it's probably not going to happen because all the things Mark said are reasonable. But I'm going to tell you something right now. If you need a running back, if you need a second running back or you're just – you need you're desperate listen to me because i'm gonna tell you right now adrian peterson is unlike any other football player currently in the nfl 
Adrian Peterson is like a 57 Chevy with a steel body in a basically on a field full of fiberglass and aluminum SUVs. When they collide, they're the other people are going to get totaled. He's just going to pound out the front, you know, front fender and keep it moving. Adrian Peterson is a different kind of dude from an old school form of football. Every stop he's had over the past five years since they rode him off, every every stop, the coach is like, we had no idea until he came in. We were shocked at how good a shape he was in. We were shocked at how quick he still is. We were shocked at how strong he still is. We were shocked at his stamina and how he could run all day. And yeah. we couldn't believe he was lapping the younger guys. It was insane. Adrian Peterson is a freak of nature. So do I believe that Adrian Peterson is anywhere remotely as good as the game-breaking you know, guy carving figure eights and defenses back with the Vikings? Not remotely. He can't do that anymore. He, he's tried it, and he realizes he can't do it anymore. I did a video last year showing him trying it against the Bears where he broke through the line off the right side, and he's about to undercut a linebacker and realizes he just can't make that cut anymore. And so he bends it a little softer, and he gets like 20, 25 yards on the play. But that would have been a 75-yard gain. And I, I wrote, showed all this stuff, and I'm laughing because Adrian Peterson ended up following me and liking the tweet. You know, oh, and I'm showing, I'm going, this is what he used to be able to do. This is what he wasn't able to do. And here is here he is at the sideline, basically. You can see the look on his face, like thinking back eight years ago, I could do this, you know? Yeah. But the fact that he could still outplay the DeAndre Swift, and he did outplay DeAndre Swift between the tackles, which maybe isn't as hard of a thing to do as people realize, uh, people may think. But um, Swift is great in space. But yeah. he's competent between the tackles. But Adrian Peterson can still jump cut. He can still bounce it outside. He has very powerful ability to stop start. And he's now in an offense with a fullback in front of him who's going to lead the way or whether he's going to have a... Or he's going to be an em- um, in you know one-back backfields but with the quarterback under center and he gets seven yards to the line of scrimmage. This is where Adrian Peterson has always been at his best. I think Adrian Peterson can be, you know, on the lower end of the top 24 producers at running back during this stretch. I think they have the the receiving game. I think they have the offensive line and the scheme for Adrian Peterson May, to occasionally give you some 100-yard days, maybe, and break a number of 8- to 10-yard rushes in this offense. And I think I think all day, I think all day can be all day for another year. Um, wow. Yeah. I, I, wow. Until I, I've, I've, I'm usually cautious about this stuff. But until I see otherwise, the burden of proof is no longer on Adrian Peterson being too old or being, you know, not or burden of proof for him to prove that he can do it. The burden on, of proof is now basically to see whether or not um, I basically, I don't know. I mean, I just, I'm trusting him now as opposed to doubting him wow. um, at this point. So 
if if you well, there are, you go yeah if you're in a desperate situation take him because the dude is like I, if there's two players that I believe could have you know the joke was Jim Brown used to say I'm gonna come out of retirement at 40 or 50 and play in the NFL well a Frank Gore who has not ever been really unbelievably quick you know was playing last year and playing reasonably well I, I think Adrian Peterson at 36 can do it so anyway well when do when do waivers run in our dynasty league um Wednesday yeah well, I know what I'm doing against I, you tomorrow there you go <laughs> Hey, I, I already spent a boatload of money in one dynasty. I haven't spent a dime yet, so I, I spent a boatload for him just because I have Chubb and a bunch of guys, Chubb, AJ Dillon, and a bunch of other guys, and I'm yeah. a four and four team that scores well, but I and my defense is great, but I'm I'm struggling a little bit, you know, and I and getting that second running back or at least making a play for someone who could be that second running back. It's worth a shot. So I, I I spent a boatload of money. So I think Mac Jones is an off season of work, you know, just training and kind of continued development, and one receiver away from a substantial increase in production. I I think he's on that path. Um, personally, I I wrote on Monday that I'd like to see Chris Godwin come to New England. I think yep. that he would be a perfect fit for that team because he can do what Edelman did uh, to an extent. He can do what you need from an outside receiver to do. He's, I think quarterback, I think the best offenses have one receiver who pretty much ties the receiving core together. He can make the contested plays in the middle of the field. He can win the jump balls outside. He can get deep for you um, man to man against your best defender and he can run after the catch, and he can be a matchup nightmare in the slot. And I can't think of another guy who's an available free agent next year that I like more than Chris Godwin, but is there anyone you'd like to see paired with Mac Jones to tie that offense together? Yeah, I mean, I I think you're right in that Mac Jones was, I thought, really good um, against the Chargers. Uh, I know like a lot of the advanced metrics – weren't great for him you know he had like a 51.4 percent completion percentage but at the same time he um his expected completion was, was like 63.4 so it was like actually was like actual versus as expected was actually a negative number um no touchdowns no interceptions they had a first and goal at the four they didn't score but when i like rewatched that game it, it was funny like watching it live hearing his comments post game seeing the chatter post game a lot of people are like Man, this is one of his worst games. I was very impressed with what he did. I mean, for Pat's Pope, I did a 21-minute video, like 16 plays, where I'm like, this is really good. That's you what saw, I thought. <laughs> you, you, yeah. like, like, he had some throws. Like, I, I think the play that sums up his growth and development in that game, the early deep shot to Aguilar working left to right on the cross of the deep over route, because it's curl flat to the right, and the curl is basically doubled. Two weeks ago, four weeks ago, He's throwing the wide open flat route. He's just, I'm going to check this down. Yeah. Not now. He's no. going to wait in the pocket, buy a little time with his feet, climb the pocket at the end, evade pressure, and throw the deep shot. I saw that, and I'm like, wait yep. a second. Yeah. This isn't the Mac <laughs> of week two. No. When everybody was screaming about average depth of target. And so, you know, I, I, was, I was really impressed with him in that game. As, as far as receivers, like, if you're purely looking at free agents, you know, Devontae Adams, obviously, 
Uh, Godwin, uh, I think, would be good. If you go sort of outside the box, not that these guys would be available, but Ridley, Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase, like you'd love to see one of those guys uh, with Mac Jones. But I, I'm with you. Like, and I, I, I did my first Pat's Pulpit video and I was getting crushed. Like, oh, you hated him coming out. Oh, you, how's your, how's your love child, Justin Fields doing? I, it wasn't that I hated Mac Jones. I liked some other guys better. I think Mac Jones has been really good the past couple of weeks. Yeah. I'm, I think he's been fantastic in that throw where he, he does climb and open up so quickly to get that yep. ball out. That that was very impressive to me, and and I, I love it. And I guess you know, I mean, you know, every once in a while, there's a point where a dot and expected versus actual just starts to sound like, well, the grand cross in your with your you know your ascendant, which is trying to your Jupiter. You right. know, and you know, is is creating some sort. I don't know. You know, it just sounds I mean, that, more like astrology like, than analytics. At some, that's point. why I try so hard to like look at all of it, right? Yeah. Like you're telling me that he's very conservative. He's got this like average depth of target of three point four. Well, okay, let's look at that. Is he checking the ball down when he should, or is he checking the ball down when he shouldn't? And earlier in the season, he was checking the ball down when he had opportunities downfield. Now. He's taken advantage of some deeper stuff. So it's like, okay, it's a data point, and you then watch the film, and you, you try to incorporate the two. Yeah. I don't think you marry yourself to one over the other. Just not- you definitely don't. And But I think the thing with that you have to understand about data points is that data points tell you about the past. Right. You know, and they don't project the future very well. Right. Um, you know, and when they try to, it, it becomes astrology. And then you know, to an extent... And then when you're when you're looking at film, the film kind of shows you where the future needs to be, yeah. You know, and and whether the the player has shown the means to do it or not. And sometimes that's unreliable too, and that can have its astrological moments itself. But like you said, marrying both is is an important factor. And and sometimes you know you're never going to be ahead of the. I don't think you're going to often be ahead of the curve when you're just looking at the at the data. You're always right. just going to be telling about what happened. And and sometimes you need to know it, but you need to know what happened in order to move forward. So building a passing game, you have Mac Jones. Who are your three receivers or two receivers and two tight ends that you want to have? Yeah, I mean, I'm going two and two here. Uh, I do really, especially at this point in his career, like the idea of a, you know, a 12 sort of personnel package for him as much as possible. Um, I'm keeping Hunter Henry with him. I, I really think those two have developed a relationship, crossers, why ISO stuff, that they seem to be on the same page. And, yeah, I'm adding Kyle Pitts to that because I'm adding Kyle Pitts to that, and it's my dream scenario, and that's what I'm doing here. As far as receivers, I, one of the guys I mentioned earlier, right, Jamar Chase. I, I, I am, you know, I, I know the Bengals lost, but I, I am a believer in Jamar Chase, and the reason why I want him is because he can get open sort of early in the down but also get open late in the down. And I think pairing that with Jones would be beneficial. And then Jalen Waddle, you know, you go back and watch Mac Jones and Jalen Waddle, and you see how those two were on the same page before Waddle got hurt. And I know you and I talked about it during the draft process. When Waddle went down, they sort of slid Devonta Smith into the role that Waddle had carved out. You know, you wonder some revisionist history if Waddle doesn't go down. Does Smith have the season he does? Does he win the Heisman? I don't know. Maybe he still does. 
Um, but it seemed like early it was like, look, we're going to run the offense a bit through Jalen Waddle. Um, I want to reunite those two. So Hunter Henry, Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle. I love it. So I'm I'm with you with Kyle Pitts. I'm with you with Jalen Waddle. The Jalen Waddle was the first player that came to mind to me with Mac Jones. Yeah. Um, so absolutely those two. Then I'm going with um, Chris Godwin again because I think he's kind yeah. of he's in the prime of his career. You get a guy on the rise in Waddle. You get a guy on the rise with um, with Pitts. You know who's already almost there, pretty much. You know you could say he is, and it gives you a lot of time. Then you have, um, and, and then then it's tough for me because yeah. after Godwin, I could either see myself doing Pat Fryermuth because he's such a, he's going to be a really good blocker. And yeah. when Ben Roethlisberger calls up James Harrison and said you would like playing with this guy, that tells you all that you need to know about like the kind of mentality that Fryermuth brings, and he. He won against Ronnie Harrison in the end zone. That was a Pitts, Xavier, Howard-like moment if there yep. was one. And 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 Harrison had him covered. This is the same guy who can cover Travis Kelsey. Yeah, you know. So he, you know, I like that. But then I think I wouldn't mind having a veteran receiver like Jarvis Landry who can get you the tough plays over the middle. Yeah. Who you know, but I think he's breaking down a bit. So I'm probably going to wind up going with Fryermuth. Yeah. So all right. Justin Fields is your quarterback. Who are your three receivers or two? Wait, did two? we skip one? Didn't you want to do Baker? Oh, wait. Oh, I'm sorry. That must have been a slip. Um, no. Yes. You have you have Baker Mayfield. Who are your three receivers and two or two tight ends? And two well, certainly not Odell, given the past 24 hours. <laughs> what did Odell um, say? I haven't heard it yet. No, Odell's dad. Oh, shared this video that somebody put together, like in an 11 minute YouTube video that some kid had done about, you know, Baker not finding Odell wide open on plays. And Odell's dad, like, shared that out. And it just gave me this nightmare. Are like, you imagine sure it like... was a kid who put it together. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> um, but it just gave me this nightmare of waking up one morning and seeing, like, oh my God, why did somebody's dad just share one of my YouTube videos? But that's another story. <laughs> Uh, but it's certainly not Odell. And similar to Mac, I'm going with two tight ends here because, again, play action, all that stuff. Um, we'll start with the receivers, though, and I'm just basically ripping the Tennessee Titans offense because Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. Yeah, Like, I want yeah. ball winners. Like I want A.J. Brown that can win over the middle. I want Julio that can win on the boundary. Obviously, there's some interchangeability between the two, but I want to construct that sort of offense for them. So it's those two receivers. Darren Waller at one tight end and a name you just mentioned – at Fryermuth at the other. I like it. I like it. I'm going to I'm going to roll this way. I'm going to say D, I love DK Metcalf. I'm putting him yeah. in there. Um I'm going AJ Brown. Um so you get the old miss duo right there. DK Metcalf, AJ Brown. One tight end. I'm going to put Pat, Pat Fryermuth cuz you need a blocker. Yeah. And and you need to especially for that run game if you're going to have Baker Mayfield. And then my other tight end I'm putting Chad Kelly in there. So <laughs> cuz there's versatility. Yes, versatility. There's versatility yeah. with that tight end, you know? And that and that's that's what I'm doing and and I'm sticking with it. So how about Justin Fields? Yeah. Who are your who who who's your receiving core here? Yeah, Fields, I'm actually going the 11 personnel with a single tight end, and that's going to be Kyle Pitts. 
Um, cause with, with yeah. fields, I'm envisioning a very much a spread 11 that is almost a 10 really with four wide receivers with pits. I'm going to go Chris Godwin at one receiver. I'm going to go Mike Evans at the other, you know, guys that can win at multiple levels. Evans, a guy with a big frame that can win down the field. You know, I'm, I'm anticipating a more vertical based passing game. Now for the third receiver, it's going to be Jarvis Landry as the guy that can sort of win underneath as a placeholder for Chris Olave his old teammate at Ohio State uh, to come in next season. So that's my 11 personnel package for Fields. I love it. I, you know, I'm changing my mind on Chad Kelly. I want Russell Wilson at tight end. Okay, um, yeah. So I that's mean, a little more reasonable. You want Tom Brady at tight end. I mean, exactly. Tom, yeah. Tom would work, I, but I, I want to give him. find a way to make it work, absolutely. He, he probably would, that's for sure. Um, Russell or Aaron Rodgers at tight end would be pretty yeah. good. Um, Fields, yeah, I love the Jarvis Landry call. I think that's a that's a pretty darn great one. Um, I, I would definitely like to see guys who can run after the catch in this offense without a doubt, like quick read type of, I, I'd like to see, I'd like to see Tyler Lockett in this offense. So, yeah. you know, Lockett off play action can beat you deep. He can also win after the catch for you. And so I would go with probably Jarvis Landry, Tyler Lockett and Jamar Chase would be my three on that. So College prospects of note. Anybody you've recently studied? Good, not so good. Um, I, I haven't really watched anybody since we talked last. Um, you know, I, I know that it was a bit of a. I mean, I guess I can look Carson Strong. I can talk about Carson Strong for a bit because I did study a little bit of Carson Strong. Um, I think we are going to have a slightly tweaked version of the Mac Jones discussion when it comes to Carson Strong. How athletic do you have to be to be a quarterback in the NFL today? How mobile do you have to be to be a, a quarterback in the NFL today? Because Strawn checks it from an arm strength standpoint. He checks it from a aggression downfield standpoint. Like I'm not worried about that, but he's very statuesque in the pocket. You know, he's had some injuries, you know, that's not his game. Is he going to be able to do enough? He, as, as I dive deeper into him, from an evaluation standpoint, will I come away thinking, look, he can, he can move around well enough to survive. Or will I start to fear that he's going to be a sit and duck in the pocket? Like it. Well, let's see. I'm going to, I'm going to give you two. One is just, one is just a player that I haven't watched, but David Agono, who is now back writing for the RSP and doing the RSP's version of futures. The, the title I came up with at football outsiders way back in the day and was writing with, with that fine organization. Um, he did one on Alabama's Bryce Young and yeah. showing how Young's, uh, you know, Young's making good decisions. Young's really putting defenses in binds. Um, and he's avoiding that magnet that a lot of mobile quarterbacks have, which is getting drawn cl closer and closer to the line until they are forced out of even looking downfield and have to, to, to run the ball. And so he's responding well to the pressure, it looks like, early on. The guy that's probably the most impressive running back I've seen thus far is Kenneth Walker out of Michigan State. I was wondering if you were going to talk about him because I thought about because I watched that game, but I didn't really like study yeah. it. I haven't seen that game, but I watched him against Miami and, uh -huh. and another team earlier in the year, or actually when he was at Wake Forest. And Walker understands really how to move efficiently. He's got mm -hmm. that. He's got that ability to flip his hips fast but on top of that he seems to really read and anticipate his keys well when he's working towards the line of scrimmage so that when there's an obstacle 
he's still able to function a step ahead. A back who did that really well in the college level was Nick Chubb. And while Kenneth Walker and Nick Chubb are very different types of running backs, um, you know, he has that kind of footwork skill. Matt Forte has that kind of skill. And I would say, you know, if Walker is a true 215, 220, as opposed to a more like 200, 205, and I think he's probably between 205, 210, at, or will be that way at best. If he can main, if he actually shows he can be 210 and above, this guy has starter potential like day one, um, you know, in terms of his ability to make decisions. He's got promise as a, as a pass protector. You can get a little better there, but nothing that's like massively worrisome about his, his game. Really, if anything, the thing that trips him up are advanced um, adjustments where defenders, they send multiple defenders and maybe he should peel off one fast and fast so that he can help out another um, assignment, things like that. But overall, absolutely a player that I finally found a running back that I look at and go, okay, this is someone that I that I don't feel like is an early round guy who shouldn't be an early round guy. This is a this is a guy who can be second or third round and and be well worth it, you know. In the same way that yeah, go ahead. We got a bit of news. Yeah. Henry Ruggs. He was involved in a crash um at 3:40 in the morning. Oh. Um he was going to be charged with DUI resulting in death. Oh, um, no. Oh, no. There's a statement from the Vegas Metro Police at approximately 3.39 a.m. They responded to a traffic collision near the intersection of South Rainbow Boulevard and South Spring Valley Parkway involving a Corvette and a RAV4. Fire department personnel responded and located a deceased victim inside the Toyota. Uh, the driver of the Chevrolet identified as 22-year-old Henry Ruggs remained on scene and showed signs of impairment transported to UMC hospital will be treated for non-life threatening injuries. He will be charged with DUI resulted in death. Wow. That's so unfortunate. I mean, yeah. I feel for the family of the victim and, right. and obviously, I mean, even though, you know, I, I know a lot of people don't want to show compassion for someone who perpetrates a crime like this. Um, and certainly it's a horrific crime if indeed it, he was impaired. Um, but, you know, I hope, you know, that that whatever punishment he earns, if it's one that he is deserving of, that is it's uh, just. But he also I feel for him to have to learn the hard way for something that a lot of people get away with doing um, on a daily basis yeah. and don't have to deal with that awful outcome oh man that's just awful news that's awful yeah. news well you know we're we're kind of we're going to end this on more of a lighter note here um so i have a question for you here that is just it just kind of came to mind because i had a euro the other day and i like oh, yeah stuff. we have it. a good we have a good euro place and like yesterday i fueled up on a on a lamb euro and then a shrimp euro that Ooh. was like cooked in sriracha and lime. Ooh. It was like really good. And so good my wife was like she ordered she ordered one last night and then ordered one for lunch today. So so it got me thinking. You it, this is basically euro, hot dog, burger or sushi. These are the four options. 
first one would you pick for a long gig after a long gig or job that you had to do? Um, man, this is, this is tough. I'm going to go. Hmm. I'm rethinking it. I'm going to go with the hot dog there. Yeah. I'm going to go with the hot dog there. It, hot dogs are very much a comfort food to me. There's a great place. Um, I'm, I actually was talking with Jay Arnold, the former Texas A&M guy, uh, defensive tackle. Um, he's on Twitter, like Jay Arnold 85 or something like that. And he had been in Chicago where he was like looking for advice on hot dogs. And I said, look, when it comes to Chicago dogs, like it's Portillo's and then everything else. I absolutely love Portillo's. As a matter of fact, I have gotten Portillo shipped here to the DC area here to Maryland because I love them. But a place that's climbed up the rankings for me is uh, Doghouse, D-O-G-H-A-U-S. And they've got some great uh, varieties. They've got like, the cowboy dog. Like They've got some other stuff. They've got sausages, too. Um, so if I, it's like a comfort food to me. So I've had like a hard day, gig, whatever, like post-draft. If it's like the dinner, the Friday night of the draft weekend, that would be it for me. Nice, nice. I think after a long gig or job for me, probably would be would be a euro i like i i like a euro with some fries i like the yeah. fact the place that i just went to they, they put the fries in the euro um and they cook good fries and yeah. and and it's hard to find good fries it seems like for where i am nowadays so the fact that they've got kind of crunchy crunchy fries that 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 are well done I, i'm 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 a big fan of that so yeah definitely the euro for the long gig how about the first date euro that's, hot dog burger or sushi that's sushi for me um because oh, you, you want to impress early don't, don't you a impress early b see how creative um and potentially exotic uh people will be in terms of like you know what they're going to be open to eating and trying and things like that um you know i, I mentioned sushi oishi the place that we get to go to get takeout from a lot we had that recently my favorite sort of sweetheart role. We had something with a crunchy Connie on top of it. Um, so yeah, first date. I miss um, CO was a place in downtown DC um, in Chinatown. They had their peanut butter and jelly roll, which I don't know how they did it, but it tasted like peanut butter and jelly, which was it was a mind blowing thing for me. So for like first date, yeah, sushi. See, there you go. Back in back in the day before I was married, sushi was definitely first date material for me and for those reasons. But now I think in hindsight, if I were ever to become a widower, hopefully not. But, you know, if I'm if I wind up surviving my wife and I actually have any desire to date at that point, right. you know, um, I think I would go hot dog, you know, and, okay. and it sounds cheap and it sounds like very basic. But I'd I'd want to keep the pressure low, just kind of enjoy, you know, yeah. hanging out, having a conversation, um, and I'd want to see, you know, just how how laid back the person actually is, you, you know, about this. And and hot dogs are, are kind of foods where you can be kind of high maintenance about them. Yeah. So I want to see how high or low maintenance this person is. Based like, on, are they going to have to throw all the stuff I mentioned on with like the extra sauces and sriracha yeah. sauces and mayo, or can they just eat a hot yeah. dog with mustard on it? Exactly. And, yeah. and it's also about whether it comes out right, because I want right. to see like, are they particular in discriminating or are they just demanding and high maintenance? And it can, there's right. a line, you know, you yeah. can, some people can confuse the two, but there's a line. It's okay. If you're particular and you, you you have a certain expectation of things, but it's how you react when it doesn't go right. That's what I want to see. 
So yeah, the that I'll have to find a hot dog place that serves it wrong. You know, if I'm at this point, I'll be in testing mode behavior anyway. If that happened, because I don't, right? I I probably wouldn't want to be dating anyway. So, but anyway, and I'm not at that point. I'm not sure anybody would want to date me anyway. So, but <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Long, how about a long term relationship date? Euro hot See, dog burger or sushi? That's where I go euro. You know because. If you're going to go Greek food, you're going to get the tzatziki. Like, you're going to have, you know, some garlic, some onions, some red onions on it. Like, you have to be able to deal with the person after that, right? Yeah. Like you got to be comfortable with tzatziki breath, with garlic breath, with red onion breath. Um, and plus, you know, you mentioned, you know, the, the place you go to. We go to a place, uh, Big Greek Cafe, which we absolutely love. Um, we used to get it when we lived closer to the dc because there's one in like downtown silver spring but there's one more north and like you know I, I guess you'd call it like only or something um i, I guess they say technically call it like rock or silver spring or whatever but it's it's really north um up 97 up georgia avenue in the maryland suburbs but it's like a 20 minute drive away from us but they have these like family meals where you can get you know the kids like chicken souffle they like the like braised green beans and like yeah. tomato sauce my son will like they have orzo that they put in some tomato sauce um that he likes but i will get the gyro platter um and a side order of gyro meat just just to have and i pour tzatziki over it you know the red onions all over it. you get a greek salad we get the the greek fries from there that have garlic and shaved feta and there's all like sort of like broiled at the very end so yeah. the cheese is a bit browned but yeah that's that's either you spend the next 30 minutes brushing your teeth using listerine or you just kind of <laughs> accepted so that's the long-term relationship date one for me is the euro i hear gin works but there we go <laughs> not for me friends we all have that one right we all have that one that's never again junior year somewhere of junior year living that campus at wesley we had a house off campus we were a group of us were working i was i was doing research for an economics professor into nigerian entrepreneurship that was his specialty like how do entrepreneurs rise in nigeria like that was what he, he, that was his life's work. And so I was doing like regressions and analysis on, you know, trying to figure out how entrepreneurs would grow. Um, but we had one weekend where we were like, let's drink gin and never again. Yeah. It's crown Royal for me. So yeah, we um, all have the one. We all have the one. Yeah. I can't even smell crown Royal anymore. Yeah. Um, long-term sushi is the long-term relationship date for me, mainly okay. just cause you know, at that point it's like, um, I'm a, I love sushi. And, and so that's something that I'm, you know, at that point, I want to share that with someone that that's special and, and, and enjoy that and make that a, a fun date where we, you know, part of a, a date where we go out and, and do a number of things and, and really go on the town and enjoy. How about the morning after whatever that means to you? Yeah. And see, <laughs> I took it as the morning after the gym. Okay. That's okay. how I took it. I'm going burger there. Like when I um, worked as a lawyer, um, one of my places, um, it was a burger called the Wall Street Burger, but they almost renamed it after me because the version they had had like coleslaw and a bunch of stuff on it. I wanted the Wall Street, which was a burger with a fried egg on top. I, I would get that for lunch. And, you know, I could just imagine the look on my parents' face when I would say I would eat that like three times a week um but anyway um they almost renamed it after me the version without all the extra stuff with just the burger the cheese and the fried egg 
but that the morning after like an, a battle with gin or tequila or whatever you want to pick that that absolute grease bomb that will do what it can to sort of either a soak it all up or b put you into an absolute food coma and knock you out for the rest of the day yeah see that's cool i yeah. i was thinking the morning after in more of a in a love not war sort of way so uh, but I'm with you on the burger because at yeah. that point you're hungry and it's like that you can absorb that protein and just keep it moving and you're, you're good to go. So, and then it could be the, the weekend in the future, including the, 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 after the morning, after you're good to go. So yeah, yeah I would absolutely go burger at that point. At that point, all inhibitions are kind of down. So you can get really messy with a good juicy burger and have fun with that. So, so I'm, I'm good there. So Dexter is back. And it's a show that I would pay money if they would let me rewrite the final two to three seasons. Yeah. Um, so I'll share what my rewrite would be just in the spirit of that, because if you, and if, again, if you, if you haven't seen Dexter and for some reason hadn't seen it and planned to see it, then, you know, you can turn this off now if you don't want any spoilers, but the, the point to me is where there's the season with Colin Hanks and Colin Hanks gets killed on an altar with Dexter stabbing him and his sister Deb witnessing it. That's the point. After that point, it went all to the left and off the rails because it really went off the rails beforehand when they actually had a therapist suggest that Deb might actually be in love with her brother, which was like really stupid. But what they should have done, if you ask me, and what I would do as a rewrite, is that at the point that Dex, Deb sees Dexter stab Colin Hanks's character, the they they she should have either a arrest. I would have liked to seen her just arrest him. They end up arresting. They can even stretch it out and have a short chase and a manhunt for him if you want. But eventually he gets arrested, put in jail, and the next two seasons you have him in Miami with the trial of the century, with the police department at odds, because some of them feel kind of like, I know Dexter, and I'm kind of like, yeah, I I have this ambivalent feeling that he is a vigilante, and he only killed bad guys, and maybe that's not such a bad thing after all, even though officially they can't say that. Having Deb go through the horror of dealing with all of this, um, and Dexter, you know, dealing with this and then basically him you know they don't probably don't even have a trial you know but he ends up in jail he ends up plea bargaining to basically have a life sentence um and that and the the show ends with him basically at the end you maybe see you fast forward two years later and he's there with an fbi expert and deb is now part of the fbi and assigned to that and they're working together to to basically catch serial killers with Dex from jail, looking at things and giving his, his Hannibal Lecter esque, you know, or, you know, type of deal, but have maybe now they bring in Charlotte Rampling's character instead of that screwed up. I'm going to experiment on Dexter and give him this code, you know, and then I like that idea, but use it in a way where now she says to him, um, you know, basically at the end, you know, now that we've been working together for a while, I need to tell you, I was, I was the therapist who your father went to see and I, I gave you this code. And now that when I look back on it, I realize that 
I don't think you were a psychopath. I think you could have, this could have all been avoided, you know, because there you see that with Dexter is that maybe he was conditioned to become a serial killer more than he was actually a psychopath. Um, and he liked to think he was when he really wasn't. He was just really repressed with his emotions due to what happened to him. So I'd love to see something along those lines or there be a manhunt for over the next two seasons and Deb have to kill him. You know, you know, one or the other, but what they did was just awful. So I'm interested to see what happens next. Is there a show or movie like that that you'd want to rewrite or read? Arrested Development. Yeah? Arrested Development is one of my favorite shows ever. Um, But after they had the initial run, they got back and did another season. And because of the way with, with getting people in and out, they sort of shot and released it in these like character centric episodes okay. like so you would have like a michael one a job one um one about the mom um and the actress who recently passed away she was incredible lucille um and it was just jumbled and confusing and then they actually went back and re-released it sort of the way it should have been shot like chronologically somewhat they like re-edited it I would have done it that way from the start like like i understand the creative way they tried to do it and the reason they had to do that but I wish they just would have, because because at its height, like Arrested Development, like I still quote scenes from that all the time. Like, you know, the other day when Brady said that, like the guy that got his 600th touchdown pass and gave it back, like he wants to give him a Bitcoin and it reminded me of Lucille to Buster. Here's some money. Go see a Star War. And it's just like, they're just like so out of touch. It's a banana. How much does it cost? Like. Just, just an incredibly like out of touch family. But that that season they did, there was that jumbled like non chronological order with like flashbacks and stuff like that. It, it didn't resonate with me as well as the other stuff, so I would have done it the way they ended up doing it, you know, from the beginning. Nice. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. Any reader questions today? Um, we did get some. I'd have to, if you give me a second, I can pull them up. Um we did have a bunch of people sort of reach out when I, when I put out the, the clarion call, I know there were some people that asked me, you know, biggest Newcastle United cult hero, because I am unfortunately a, a Newcastle United supporter. And I would say for me in response to that one, it's Hudson Ben Arfa and Hudson Ben Arfa did not play a ton of time in Newcastle, but the season of passports with Pardue when Hudson, but I, I remember, Leading up into the final weekend of the season, when it looked like Newcastle might actually qualify for God knows Champions League, if a bunch of stuff broke their way, I, I watched a video um, of all of Hatem Ben Arfa's moves with skill, and I just kept watching it over and over and over again. So for me, it was Hatem Ben Arfa, and I know all that just went over Matt's head. Yeah, all I, kept, um, all I caught was Newcastle, and I thought beer. Yeah, yeah, but they, I do. I, I love have, soccer, but I haven't. Watched I have a one. Of, there was a time when Newcastle you. Brown Ale was the shirt sponsor for Newcastle United, and I have one of the blue Newcastle United tops upstairs with the Newcastle, the Blue Star logo. I've got it upstairs. Um, how about this one from at Philly Wannabe GM? How many of the 2022 draft quarterbacks are you guys liking, at least from an early incomplete assessment, more than Zach Wilson? And he mentions Pickett, Riddler, Strawn, Willis, and maybe Matt Corral. But are any of those guys are you liking more than Zach Wilson? It's a push for me right now, to be honest. Um, yeah, I haven't. I I've I've watched Pickett, I've watched Riddler, and I'd say it's a push. Yeah, um, Corral. 
I haven't really studied enough yet to give a good opinion. Um, and then Willis, I like Willis's in the right offense. I'd like Willis more, but yeah. I don't know if there's a right offense. <laughs> he, he's he's very, and I was saying this last night on a Eagles podcast. He's very boom bust. Like yeah. I, I think that's going to be the thing with this class. It is going to be very scheme fit, coaching fit, developmental fit dependent for these guys. Uh, like of that group, I, I thought maybe. You know, Matt Corral might be the guy that might grade out higher th- than Wilson. I- I'm very intrigued by Matt Corral. I'm very intrigued by the stuff he's shown this season. He had a bad interception uh, on Saturday night where Cardinal Sin flushed right, throws late over the middle to the end zone, he gets picked, and they needed to – they were down two scores in that game. They needed to get a touchdown on that drive or at least a field goal, and they didn't do it. Um, but, yeah, th- this might be a very much scheme-dependent class. Um, how about this one? Which quarterback is the Snickers always satisfies, Almond Joy most fun, Candy Corn looks to be good, but rarely is. Um, for me, I'll say Brady is the Snickers always satisfies. Like Watching Tom Brady, you always come away with something. The Almond Joy, which I, I would push back in the idea that the Almond Joy is the most fun. I would say Reese's and all their varieties are the most fun. But for me, the most fun quarterback to watch right now is Matthew Stafford. Um, because he's like kid in a candy store. Sean McVay's a kid in the candy store. They're just running three by two empty and just letting them play. Like, like it's crazy what they're doing right now. And the candy corn looks to be good, but rarely is. Hmm. That's a tough one. Um, (laughs) It's orange. Yeah. Candy corn is orange with, with some, some subtle whiteness, some subtle white, you know, trim to it. So yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, that's, that's, all, that's all we need to say, yeah. you know, so I'm, I'm good with I'm good with six being the candy corn. Um, and then I'm with you with Tom Brady, always satisfying as a Snickers. Um, I would I would say Russell Wilson is the almond joy. I mean, uh, for me, it, it is um, Patrick Mahomes certainly would qualify, you know, even though he's. You know the the team's having their ups and downs right now. Um, he there's moments he's still so much fun to watch. So yeah, and again, hopefully this was fun for you guys to listen to. We certainly always enjoy being able to put this pro, um, podcast out. Um, you can rate it and review it at Matt Waldman's RSP Cast and find it there. We've had a number of great reviews um, over the period of time there. I really appreciate um, you guys giving that kind of feedback. Um, you know, and if you have feedback that you'd like to get us to act on, you know, you can write me at Matt Waldman RSP at gmail.com. Matt Waldman RSP at gmail.com. Thanks again on behalf of Mark. I'm Matt. See you all next week.